Namaste. I'm Reverend Wendy Craig Purcell here at the Unity Center in beautiful San Diego. Thank you so much for subscribing to this channel. Please make sure that you like the video you've just watched and consider making a contribution on our app or on our website. It's really easy to do. And thank you in advance for that support. It does make a difference. Angels in our midst, can you see them? Can you feel them? We are all angels, all angels who only have one wing. That was the line that really got to me. All angels who only have one wing. We're searching for each other, but we can't fly alone. We need each other. It's in that awareness, I think, that we make a conscious decision to live our lives differently. I think it's in that awareness that we recognize that there is value and beauty and holiness and sacredness within each and every one of us. And in some people, it's easy to see that. And in other people, sometimes maybe it is a little more difficult. What I have found in our spiritual teaching, though, are tools that help us, I know they help me, to be able to look with different eyes, to look out with different eyes at others, to look inward with different eyes at myself, to look outward at the world and the situations in the world through different eyes. It's like the saying that I read to you earlier, that the butterfly is proof that beauty can emerge from something that is falling apart. That is to see with different eyes. That is to behold all things beautiful in their own time. Beautiful in its own time. Maybe you remember a poster that was popular quite a number of years ago of a cute and adorable little boy all disheveled, kind of messy face, hair awry, holes in his jeans, although now that's the look, right? Or maybe that's the look that's going out, I don't know. But beneath it was the caption, be patient with me. God isn't finished with me yet. And that is so true of every single one of us. And I think Michael is trying to point to that in the line in the song that we're all angels with one wing, reaching for the sky, but can't quite get there because we need each other to fly. And I think one of the ways that we help each other to fly is with the belief that everyone and everything is beautiful in its own time. Beautiful in its own time. I don't know if you realize it, but those words actually come out of Scripture. And they are words that come after a much-loved and probably more familiar verse in Scripture or verses in Scripture in Ecclesiastes, the verses that talk about everything having its own time. To everything there is a season and a time. To every purpose under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up or to harvest that which is planted and the peace goes on for a while and eventually concludes with the words, God has made everything beautiful in its own time. Can we look at ourselves and know that to be true for us? 
Can we look at that and hold that as we look at one another and know that to be true for each other? Beautiful in its own time. I can't help but remember the, the true little story of a woman who was recently dating a man, and he came to pick her up for a date, but he got confused with the time, and he came a bit too early, and he knocked on the door, and she came to the door, but she was quite not ready. Her hair was in a bazillion different directions, not quite finished, as she's opening the door to her date. And he looks at her, and he says, well... I'm sure that's something beautiful in the making. I remember sharing that story when I first heard a true little story years ago with my mom. And my mom said, honey, if you ever find somebody who looks at you like that and says, beautiful in its own time, about to be beautiful, that person's a keeper. That person. And I did actually find someone twice, actually same someone. What is beauty? What is beauty? Beautiful in its own time. What is beauty? The dictionary defines it in this way, the quality that is present in a thing or person giving intense pleasure or deep satisfaction to the mind. Intense pleasure or deep satisfaction to the mind. Now I know why I like to organize and have things look beautiful. Deep satisfaction to my mind, beauty, intense pleasure, deep satisfaction to the mind. It arises from sensory manifestations such as shape, color, or sound, from a meaningful design or a pattern, or from something else such as a personality in which there are high spiritual qualities. There's something about beauty that we're drawn to. Intense pleasure in the experience of it, a deep sense of satisfaction. To me, though, an important aspect of beauty has to do with how we behold something, and that is a choice. In fact, the very word behold means to choose to see it that way. To behold, to choose to see something that way. When we behold something as beautiful, we are choosing to see it that way. When we behold the divine in the other, even though it may be flickering on and off to our appearances, we are choosing to see it that way and to call it forth. There's a story that perhaps you've heard of a monastery that was having a particularly difficult time. People were no longer flocking to the monastery. Young monks were no longer entering. And the abbot was very concerned that he might need to close the doors of the monastery forever. But he was good friends with the rabbi in town, and he went to the rabbi to seek some advice from the rabbi, to kind of just clergy person to clergy person to bear his whole and to say, you know, I don't, don't know what's happening, but we're not attracting any new young people, and, and I'm concerned. And the rabbi said to the abbot, well, you know, one of you in the monastery is a messiah. The abbot was confused. One of us in the monastery is a messiah. Who? Rabbi said, I don't know. I can't tell you. But one of you is. And so the abbot 
goes back to the monastery and he beholds the monastery. He beholds the monks that are there differently. He gathers them all around and he tells them what the rabbi just told him, that one of us is the Messiah. And with that bit of information, an amazing transformation started to happen. Each of the monks wondered, could it be me? No, maybe, no, I don't think so, but maybe it could be, or maybe it is you, or maybe it is you. Well, if it is you, I better start treating you differently. I better start beholding you differently. And since I don't know for sure who it is, I better start beholding all around me as if they were the one. And whether that story is true or simply a beautiful teaching, it is absolutely that, is it not? Because what if in our classrooms, and Cami, I know the devoted teacher you've been, what if in our classrooms, what if in our places of business, what if in our spiritual communities, what if in our neighborhood, we somehow acted as if my next door neighbor, that student, that coworker I never could quite get along with is the Messiah, meaning is a chosen one, is special. Truth of the matter, of course, is that we all are that, right? But to bring forth the beauty of someone or something in its own time, I think we need each other to do that. And the way in which we can do that with each other is how we choose to behold the other. Years ago, I haven't done it for a long time now, but years ago I used to do quite a bit of counseling and I would do quite a bit of deep forgiveness work with people. And some of the stories and situations that people would come in with who wanted spiritually to work through a grievous wrong that had been done to them at the hands of another person. Oftentimes when we would get to the point of trying to, to want to want to forgive, we would begin to move into a conversation about can you begin to see the person differently? Not to make right that which is wrong, but for your own healing. Can you begin to look with different eyes that you might be set free? And in some of the deepest conversations when it would be so difficult to, for the person, the counselee, to behold the other differently, one thing that would often work or begin to work and break the shell would be if that person could imagine the perpetrator of that wrong, of that grievous act, as a child. It's a very young child. Because the truth of the matter is we all come in pure and innocent. I don't care what you may have been taught in whatever church you might have grown up in that would suggest that you were born in original sin, you were not. And neither, that is not true of any of us. We are born in original blessing. Somewhere along the line, though, some people are so hurt, so damaged by the harm done to them by another that they can then inflict that same harm. 
And so the idea of beautiful in its own time, whether it is to behold that in someone where it's really easy to, or to stretch into and try to behold that for some, with someone that you know that is a real sandpaper to your soul, or, or even worse, that there is such a thing, requires practice. It requires a willingness to see beyond the current behavior. I wonder how this woman was changed after someone beheld her differently. The story I'm about to tell you, you've probably heard before many times. I, if you've been here, you've heard it from me. But the emphasis is usually on not the woman, but the man. This is the story. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. And having set her in the midst, they said to him, Jesus, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What then do you say? And they were saying this, testing Jesus, in order that they might have grounds to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, they began to go out, one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he, Jesus, was left alone, and the woman where she had been in the midst. And straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go your way. From now on, sin no more. I wonder how she was changed after Jesus beheld her differently. The story is so rich on so very many levels. The scribes and the Pharisees were trying to trick Jesus, as the very word said, holding up the literal law, the Mosaic law, that very clearly said what her punishment should be. And then he says to them, and let anyone among you who is without sin, who is without having missed the mark somehow, be the very first one to cast the stone. And of course, none of them could honestly say that they were without ever having made a mistake, so they all needed to leave, right? Great wisdom, but what about her? What about her? We don't know. We don't know. But I can't help but imagine that having been that she, having been beheld differently through his eyes, being seen differently through his eyes, that she would have emerged different. Questions that help us grow are questions for us to, to ask of ourselves. How am I seeing the people around me? How am I beholding them, especially the ones that are challenging for me? How am I beholding them? When you have been beheld by another with the eyes of love, when another has looked at you and believed in you through the eyes of love, through the eyes of possibility, I bet you have felt more capable, more filled with power and potential because the other, through their eyes, they have helped you to maybe hold on to or at least possibly believe 
that you could be something more. It's like the story of the monks and the abbot. One of you is the Messiah. As we think about this idea of all things beautiful in their own time, as we consider that promise and know our part in that promise, which is how we behold the other, I think it is also important that we ask, how are we beholding ourselves? How are we beholding ourselves? Do we behold ourselves as beautiful? And I'm not talking about the surface beauty, which is, can be very pleasant and deeply satisfying, but I'm talking about the beauty of the soul. How do we behold ourselves? Can we be gentle with ourselves when we make mistakes and we miss the mark? Can we see how we shine when we do shine and give us and allow that beholding to give us the strength to shine even brighter? Do we even see who and what we really are? Or have we been fooled by a culture that might be telling us otherwise or a history or a past that might have been telling us otherwise? Maybe you remember the children's story. It's not necessarily a children's story. If you look at the meaning of it, Rudyard Kipling's story, The Jungle Book, right? Of little Mowgli, a little boy who was raised by a pack of, of wolves. And having only been raised with wolves, thought himself to be a wolf. But eventually the pack knew he needed to go to the man village. And Bahira the panther was the one to take him to the man village. And it was a long journey, and Mowgli didn't want to go. Mowgli saw himself not as a man, but as the image that was always all around him of the wolves. But as they eventually get into the village, he sees a creature he's never seen before, very pleasing to the eye. A girl. Never seen a creature like that before. And almost at the same time, he happens to catch his own reflection for the very first time in some water and realizes, hmm, I look more like her than these over here, than the wolves. When he got this new picture of himself, that new picture of himself and the story put him in a new understanding of who and what he was and where and how he should live. And while it's a children's story, the wisdom is applicable to us. If we can see who and what we really are, yes, we all make mistakes. Yes, we are angels with one wing and we need each other to fly. But if we can recognize, but we are angels. We have incredible potential and good in us, despite the challenges and mistakes that we may make from time to time. If we can hold both, but honor more the divine potential within ourselves and within each other, we will be well on the way to transforming our lives individually and helping to transform and inspire and transform the lives around us. And so I encourage you to do everything you possibly can to behold your, yourself as the divine spiritual being that you are, but also to behold as beautiful those around you. 
I want to close with something that has always been very tender to me. And it has been those times and with those individuals, and I can think of several in our community, that I've had the privilege of being able to support as they have gone through deep times of self-doubt of who and what they are. And to be able to look them deeply in the eye and to say, I so pray for you that one day you will see yourself the way I see you. Because I do see you whole. I do see you perfect. I do see you as a spiritual being. And I do see all the potential within you behind or in spite of the mistakes and things that you may have done. And when I've been able to do that and see the other receive it, it's really an inspiration. And it's an, a teaching to me that that is a gift that each and every one of us can give to each other, to hold up that mirror to the other when they're forgetting, to remember for the other. We are all angels with one wing, reaching for the sky, but needing each other to fly. Namaste.